Johnny Mantell. I hope everybody's listening in and join December 7th, 2014. Of course, uh, uh, Pearl Harbor Day for many, uh, but I hope everybody's enjoying that day. I want to bring on the, the star of the show, the head of the Hart family, Bruce Hart's on the air with us. How you doing, Bruce? Oh, good, Johnny. Nice, uh, nice to uh, talk to you. How's everything? Everything's good, my friend. And you? Oh, not bad, thanks. Uh Looking forward to tonight. Uh, I gather we have some interesting uh, guests coming on. So we do, we do. Be, uh, I think it uh, should be a good night, man. Uh, how cold is it up there where you're at today? Um, oddly enough, not that bad. You know, we were uh, probably about uh, maybe 30 degrees uh, Fahrenheit or about zero, you know, somewhere in there or Celsius, so it's not too bad, you know, uh, uh, sort of balmy by uh, our standards up here. So. But, yeah. Winter hasn't had full effect yet. You've just been getting bits and pieces of it, right? Yeah, yeah, it seems to uh, come in, in uh, <laughs> waves, you know. So. That's why down here, you know, that's how it's been on us. We uh, had some cold days, and then it got into the almost 80, and then back to cold days, and and uh, that just what keeps everybody sick, seems like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, what's your take on some of the, uh, the stuff going on in the business lately? I've been hearing odd, odds and ends. I don't know what to believe or make well, of. you know, there's... Uh, <laughs> There's so many things being said and done, and and uh, uh, I, I guess you know when we talk about the business today, we have to talk about the big show because that's you know that's sort of where the you know if you're not with Vince right now, I don't know that you're with anybody making you any real money. I don't you know I don't know of anybody else making any real money out there, and and uh, there's so many things going on up there, but. Uh, uh, you know, you don't know what to believe and what not to believe, do you? Yeah, I'm always <laughs> looking at everything with a skewed perspective, whether there's some agenda or some angle or some such thing in there, you know. But I've been somewhat amused with this CM Punk uh, stuff. I I don't go online or I don't check out the dirt sheets and do all that too much, but... Uh, I heard some scuttlebutt about him supposedly going to UFC and all like that. And I was more uh, intrigued. I didn't know that he had any background in MMA or any of that either. You know. So, yeah, I, I've heard that too, and I just can't hardly believe that he would go. You know, this is just my my side on it. I, I just can't believe he'd go over there and do something when. He really has, you know, as you say, he has Vinny, he has him by the Yangs right now because the people are still chanting his name. So there has to be some value of their bringing him back at some point in time, I would think. 
Yeah, it would seem to me, unless there's something I don't know, you know, uh, it seems like he's potentially risking compromising whatever his value is uh, by uh, going over there and, uh, you know, uh, potentially getting his ass kicked or whatever. You know, I don't know whether he's... I, ne- I frankly never knew that he had any... Uh, background in MMA or something like that, you know, but uh, I made things that seem to me like his strong suits or his, you know, got some charisma or some speaking ability and they've put a certain amount into his gimmick, but all of that's, you know, essentially uh, meaningless in W and UFC, you know, so I don't know, like, there's no... Uh, great value, you know, a little bit of, they got a few Tito Ortiz types that play kind of, you know, a little bit Kael Sonnen's where they talk a bit, but it doesn't mean that much in that realm, so it would seem to me that would he'd be kind of, uh, you know, losing a lot of his, you know, appeal right off the get-go, you know, and I don't know what... Uh, I'm sure UFC's not just going to push him right to the top first go-round either, you know. Like the whole yeah, thing I, makes... I, all that rumor, that direction, I just I can't hardly hardly believe. I mean, I don't, I'm like you, I don't know of his total background, you know, and, and uh, uh, I don't know, maybe that's something he did a long time ago or always had his aspirations to doing, but uh, he's going to find that's a big, a big difference between uh, – uh, going out there and working with the guys Vince had him working with and then putting him in the oh, ring. Oh, it's tough to go back there. to working if you've been uh, shooting and if you've been in our business, even if you're, uh, even if you are. But, yeah, the whole thing made the flip side, I guess, is UFC. If, there, if there's any element of, you know, if and when they're ever perceived to be anything less than a shoot, then... That whole thing's kind of in question, and it, uh, it ceases to be what you know what it's supposed to have been. Then you know, but hey, you know, I, don't I, know, I know that uh, I know that you and I haven't talked since the uh, the press release. I think it was right before Thanksgiving they put out the press release that Wednesday of the people that were inducted into the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame this year. And, and oh yeah, so, I, so, so can I name all those guys tonight, real quick, and ladies? Yeah, sure. The Pioneer Division is Joe Malkowitz and the Great Gamma. Uh, the well, the TV, old, old, the old Gamma timer the Pioneer old. Division, yeah. Uh, the TV TV era is Pedro Morales and Whipper Watson. The modern day era is Rick Martell and Kurt Henning. The ladies divi- division is Vivian Vachon. The tag team. And it was, uh, boy, what a great group of tag teams were on the on the ballot this year. But the team that went in is the fabulous Freebirds, Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy, and Buddy Roberts. Oh, the colleague good. division is Jim Crockett Sr. And the international division is Jumbo Staruta. Uh, congratulations to all their families. Uh, there's only three living inductees this year, so we're looking forward to seeing all them in uh, – Amsterdam, the third weekend in May. Well, who are the three living? That's Martel, uh, 
Martel. I guess Pedro the two Morales. Freebirds, you know, with, uh, Mike, uh, Michael, Michael Hayes. Hayes. Freebirds, yeah, and Pedro Morales. That's a distinguished uh, group. I, uh, I'm sort of honored to know a few of them anyway. I know Martel, who sort of broke in up here in Calgary, and... Uh, and uh, but uh, Michael Hayes. Well, Whip, Whipper Watson worked a lot with yeah. Dad. Yeah. Yeah, I'm certainly surprised some of those names weren't in there already. You know, like some of them were pretty iconic. You know, like uh, when you heard, yeah, when you mentioned uh, Whipper Watson, I was like, geez, uh, <laughs> you know, he was sort of like uh, one of the ultimate Canadian icons from the uh, 40s and 50s, you know. He was the NWA world champion, you know, actually beat Lou Thez. You know, uh, when Thez was like the uh, ultimate, you know, back in the 50s. And then, uh, you know, he's he's a huge uh, figure in Canada, he did a lot of stuff with the crippled children and all like that, so he's always like, sort of like, uh, you know, as iconic as they get up here, so I was surprised he wasn't maybe already in there, you know, and um, and uh, to a degree, Pedro, I thought, you know, if, if only because he was like, you know, back in that era when Vince Senior was having just uh, guys like Bruno and them were having the belt for years at the time. You know, he was like the successor to Bruno, so I I figured he'd have already maybe uh, made it, if only because he was sort of the uh, one of those long-running WWE champions back back in the day. You know, but but that, that's a, that's a pretty. Uh, impressive list you know and, uh, well i i want to thank all the voters that are on the voting committee that voted for these uh inductees and i know that uh for myself you know i, I had the real privilege of working with pedro morales when i first broke in in los angeles and it was a great honor to work with him and then i worked with a young man for george calkin back in the day philip watson that was announced as the son of Whipper Watson. I don't know if that was a shoot or if that was real or not, but uh, um, yeah, I, I believe Phil Watson was. He was. I, I t- talked to him on the phone the odd time. He seemed like an alright guy. He was uh, in Hawaii or some of those places. Uh, he used to run with the. Uh, Ubiquitous Ripper Collins and some of those guys, you know. That's who he. That's who he was with when I met him. They came to Mississippi to work for Frankie Kane and George Calkin, and uh, that's when I met him. So, uh, you know, I had a privilege of working with him. I, I worked with uh, Rick Martell in Portland, Oregon, uh, and of course yeah, I worked was... with all three of the fabulous Freebirds. And of course, going to Japan as many times I worked with Jumbo Staruta. So it's a uh, it's a very encouraging class for me. So many of my peers and guys yeah, had the Taruta privilege of working uh, with. You know? I knew Terry. Uh, they used to call him Tommy Taruta. When I knew him in Amarillo, Jumbo, he was um, broken in with Dory and Terry in Amarillo in uh, about 72 or thereabouts. You know, he was sort of 
around that bunch with uh, Murdoch and a bunch of those old, uh, I think old Dusty may have been there, and Rip Hawk and Sweet Hanson and a bunch of those guys. So, yeah, nice guy, old Taruta. He, uh, I believe he's pretty decent amateur too, from what I recall. He had yeah. uh, Olympic team credentials or some such thing. So, yeah, that's a, that's a good bunch. I remember that old Joe Melkowicz was the uh, friend of my dad's. He was the uh, predecessor to Roy Shires in um, Frisco. There, him and his brother Frank, I believe, they were kind of in there for years and uh, as promoters, you know, in that same realm as the Hugh Nichols and the uh, some of those old promoters. They must have been in there since the 30s or 40s or some such things. So you know, when I, when I spoke with uh, our dear friend Terry Funk the other day and told him the great Gama, he said, yeah, I think I worked with some of his kids. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he was. Uh, he was sort of in the Strangler Lewis uh, Zabisco uh, realm back there, you know. You know, my my reading and research on him says that he was one of those guys there that you know, and you and I've talked about it before on the show. But he was one of those guys that territories had in there that sort of cleaned up if there was any problems, if there was a smart aleck in the crowd, or if there was a. A uh, guy wanting to break into the business and couldn't quite take it. He was the one that, you know, sort of that uh, police officer of the territory, or you know, whatever you want to call that position. He oh, was yeah, one it, of those it, guys. It, it's it's funny uh, how that that position has almost become kind of, you know, in today's era, you don't hear about it, or it's almost kind of like uh, non-existent or whatever, but. Back back then, there was a pretty, uh, you know, there's always one or two of these three-headed dogs at the gates of hell that were uh, kind of, uh, I know my dad had a few, including himself, and uh, everywhere uh, you went, you'd hear of these uh, names like Rube Bright or Tragus and, uh, you know, the Wilbur Needs and the Joe Pazendax and I think. Texas, they had a few of the Danny Pletches or some of those old, uh, quite often they weren't even that well known amongst the uh, fans, you know, they were sort of uh, quite often not, you know, guys wearing belts or working the main events, but, uh, you know, they were sort of guys that uh, everyone kind of uh, tried to you know, steer clear of her. <laughs> if they were booked with those guys, they were kind of like, geez, I better... I'm wondering if the promoters uh, got something... if I've done something wrong or something like that, you know, but it's all sort of like part of that dues-paying process that uh, seemed to be part of it back in the day, you know, and probably served its purpose in, a, in retrospect, you know, some of those guys... Uh, you know, kind of kept kept them honest, as they say. You know, and, um, you don't see too much of that anymore. You know, funny enough, most of those guys, from what I heard, are, you know, they, they weren't kind of like taking liberties, as they say. You know, if, but uh, 
it did kind of tend to make you be a bit more circumspect and and not get too cute, as they used to say, you know. Well, I think it was just sort of the, uh, you know, uh, maybe gold standard. Those guys were the, uh, you know, they like you know they kept it real. They kept some part of it real, and and that's, uh, uh, you know, maybe that maybe they're missing that today, you know. Yeah, I think I, I, I think they are. <laughs> yeah, I think that was probably the flip side of it. You know, I, I know a lot of the, uh, you know, that was sort of a part of it back in the day. If if somebody was uh, dissing the business, as they say, or some of these wannabes, you know, they'd get these big strong men or these football players and stuff that maybe, you know, wanted to kind of take a shortcut. And I think they sometimes had to uh, go through those guys just to, uh, you know, kind of gain a modicum of respect. I know my dad used to, uh, he always used to say my dad used to especially like to, you know, uh, take some of the uh, wind out of the sails with these big bodybuilder types, the Billy Grahams and some of those guys. And I think that was probably true. You know? <laughs> I remember there's more than a few of those guys, including Billy Graham or Wayne Coleman, as he was back then. They uh, they kind of had to go through that. It was a little bit uh, demoralizing or humbling for them, you know, which is maybe, uh, maybe good and you know, kind of uh, keeping their egos in check or whatever, you know, but but that's sort of almost like a bygone uh, rite of passage in this business. You don't uh, hear of that as much anymore, but when you think about it, maybe it's something that, you know, should be uh, perhaps part of the uh, of the whole equation, you know. It's, I know back in the day there was, I know certainly up here, there, if if the guys uh, got went through all the dues paying, they they tended to be more respectful of of the business. You know, they tended to defend it more and uh, and protect the uh, ostensible integrity of it more. You know, which uh, I think's probably important. You know, uh, if you don't respect something, then you not sure if uh, it comes out in the wash too. And the fans, you know, kind of uh, don't either. You know. Well, I think when they when they begin to start calling, when the fans start calling the controls, I think it sort of uh, loses its effect. And that's you know that's why that's why maybe football is so popular today because it's uh, the violence of it. But yet, you know, it's still those guys out there on the field playing the game. It's not. Uh, uh, somebody else, and and uh, you know, I know today. Yeah, I think that's part of the problem with the wrestling. Uh, I was talking with my kids the other day about that, but these days uh, it seems like uh, one of the missing ingredients in wrestling, ironically, is wrestling. <laughs> we were watching, and it seemed like there's everything from uh, you know these idiot comic relief spots with 
Adam Rose and the Bunny and Hornswoggle and El Burrito and the Divas and the Talking Computer and the Babble and the Bullshit. <laughs> I was watching it for about an hour and I said, geez, uh, the chairs and ladders and tables and all this other and geez, uh, the only thing missing is wrestling. I don't think I've seen, uh, you know, uh, any wrestling all night long, you know, it's like, uh, you know, the, the big screen and the runway and the talk and the bullshit. And I don't think I've seen two guys actually, you know, they did a few high spots, but there was no wrestling to uh, hold the high spots together. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I think sometimes, you know, it's almost funny though if you had football with uh you know the cheerleaders and the exploding scoreboards and you had jerry jones and uh company screaming at each other and you and you had the uh maybe some of the the drug stuff and the ray rice and the uh blah 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 and jeez uh, we haven't had any football oh jeez i forgot you know it's like you know it's seems to be uh, one of the uh, things that's most often overlooked in our business, you know. It's uh, not that many, and that's part of the problem, I think, you know. It's a lot of those guys, you know, and I don't even begrudge them because they don't think they, I think they're just trying to appease who's ever hired them, but uh, so many of them don't even seem to do any wrestling, you know. I see all these guys like the Bray Wyatts, and I see the... Uh, you know, these guys doing some high spots, and I see the guys hitting each other with chairs and going through tables and on and on, you know. And I don't see too many guys actually just working a hold and uh, trying to pin each other and systematically uh, building to a, you know, a climax or whatever, you know, which is, I know that was what wrestling was all about back in the day, you know, and like we were talking about, there was this premium placed on making it look real or, you know, endeavoring to make the, the fans think it was, you know, and, uh, you, you said something, that, that you said something a few weeks ago on the show and I'll, I'll, and I wish I could remember exactly how you said it, but your dad made a comment about something about if there's, uh, you know, uh, um, some, I, I'm, my mind just going blank, but it's something to the effect of of uh, artificial insemination, and there's no climax. Oh or yeah, something about there's a match. No, yeah, and yeah, and that's exactly with the fans. You know, uh, there's no orgasm in artificial insemination. So you have, uh, you know, you know that one of the subliminal objectives of the whole thing is to in engage the fans and make them subliminally believe that they're cheering and they're booing and reacting and all this other is, uh, you know, an integral part of the whole thing and inspiring or whatever the wrestlers. And and then when you finally get to the finish, they sort of, you know, indulge in the, uh, the moment because they feel like they were part of it. And, um, that seems to be sort of missing today, which is, 
remarkable because that that should be the primary objective is to uh, sustain and engage and inspire and take these fans on this emotional roller coaster ride that they've bought their ticket and paid their money to engage in, you know, and, uh, and it, it's, it's funny. It's almost become, you know, with this so-called smart mark genre and all that other, uh, it's almost become secondary or incidental, which, which is to me a complete, uh, antithesis of what it should be given, uh, that, uh, the whole thing is revolving about around uh, customer satisfaction, or it should be, you know. And uh, so, yeah, it—it's—I uh, uh, it, it, don't know. Let it. We'll let that lead us on to our first guest tonight. I know that uh, he's been holding. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yep. I, I got him hooked on. Let me let me bring on our first guest tonight. I understand he was the head trainer for the movie The Wrestler. Uh, John Patrick Trotsky. How, welcome tonight. I'm Johnny Mantell, and you're talking with Bruce Hart. Hi, Johnny. Hi, Bruce. Great to be on with you guys. Uh, Yo. Just to correct that, Off of the Wild Samoan was the head trainer uh, officially on that movie. I want to make sure I don't try to upstage Pops by any means. Uh, myself and Tommy Swade were his two understudies. We were basically his trainers at the Hazleton facility of his Wild Samoan training center for about five to ten years before that, so... We were the two primary trainers physically in ring with Tom. Uh, I'm sorry, with uh, Mickey. That was Alpha? Yeah, uh, it was Alpha was the head trainer. Yeah, he he actually started up in Calgary, so I I know him. Nice guy, old Alpha, you know. He and Sika were. Absolutely. I think they were sent up by Peter Maivia in, uh, like, 73, and they broke in up here in Calgary. And uh, nice guys, I... uh, I always thought they were gentlemen and uh, pretty... Uh, Completely different than their in-ring personas. They're both... Oh, yeah, uh, nice Fox thought, is one of the most know, kind most, guys in the world. Most of the uh, Samoans I found were uh, <laughs> really uh, nice, soft-spoken, They're good mild people. Matter, and uh, yeah. the type of guys you didn't want to get on your wrong side, though. You know, like, yeah, no, uh, I and, and I've annoyed them occasionally, and I tell you, it's never good being on their bad side because it's... It usually doesn't. Uh, it doesn't usually play out well for you. So I mean, I try to do everything I can to stay in their good graces because they uh, they are a very powerful uh, family and they are very well respected in the business. And you know, and, I, yeah, and they're I know such them good all. People I, and, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I know Haku and uh, all those guys. I worked a lot in Hawaii back in the day. But yeah, nice, mild-mannered, soft-spoken <laughs> gentlemen. You know, absolutely. Uh, I don't think they ever took liberties, but uh, if you kind of crossed them or you uh, disrespected them or any of that type of thing, then you had a tiger by the tail, you know, as I recall, you know. Yeah. But yeah, well, I think I think I think they were just one of those tag teams, and and now that you say that Peter Maivia sent them there to to get their start, I I can understand why, but they were just one of those. Big, impressive tag teams that when they went to the ring, it was and believable. Tough, and tough human beings. Very, very yeah. tough men. I and, mean, and you, a pop, and you believe, I remember a story. Is an, eyeball, an eyeball fell out of his head in one of the matches. He popped it back in, and he wrestled the rest of the match. I mean, Pops was one of those guys that, like, the, every one of that family are tough as nails. They are, they're all just, they're rocks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Big. Yeah. Uh, they like to fight. <laughs> yeah, and... uh 
if you're going to fight them, you better be, you know, pretty damn tough. You better You better know be you're doing. revving up to fight the whole family, too, because they definitely stick together. They're a pack. Yeah, you better, uh, <laughs> you know, be prepared to, uh, you know, take care of business or uh, not maybe <laughs> walk away, you know, you're... Sure. So, so John, t- tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Like I said, I just got a little note about you today. Tell us a little bit about yourself okay. and your and your uh, uh, relationship to the business. Okay. Uh, well, uh, probably the most notable thing I've done in the business, I would say, was train Mickey for the movie The Wrestler. Uh, I've been in the business now for 15 years. I've wrestled across 20 countries. Uh, across four different continents in most of the United States on the independent circuit. Uh, I've wrestled in front of 50 people, and I've wrestled in front of 30,000 people. You know, it's, it, I, I've definitely been through the highs and lows of the business, and I, I know what that love truly is about the, and I was talking to Bruce briefly about it last night, about that static, that energy, that intangible it connection that you could feel with the crowd. And it's it's very romantic to me when I talk about it because they're, legitimately is no drug or any kind of medicine you could ever take that can compare to that. Um, and, and after the movie, the wrestler wrapped up, I, I really, I transitioned out of pro wrestling because I, Tommy Swade, who was the other trainer on the, the wrestler with me was exactly the model of what a WWE wrestler should be. He was, you know, six foot tall, uh, perfect body, good looking guy, well-spoken, and it just he got released after about six months. And I don't know if you saw any pictures of me. I'm five foot seven, chubby, never did a drop of steroids in my life. I tried to keep myself in the best shape I possibly could. But when I see somebody like Tommy getting let go, I realized at that time it was time to kind of step away from pro wrestling and get into the movie business. And I was very fortunate that the stunt coordinator of the wrestler uh, took me kind of under his wing because he's another kind of short, stocky, chubby fellow. And he's getting a little bit older, and I think he wanted to kind of take his, a little bit of an easier step back from the business, so he didn't want to get quite as beat up uh, as as much as he as he does in his older age. And not that he's that old. You know, he's like 40 years old. But, you know, you guys know, as the older and the more time on the clock that you have in this business, the more it wears on your body. I'm 34 saying that, and I remember, you know, 26-year-old version of me, nothing hurt. Um, but I was able to transition into the stunt and movie business now, and I've done, uh, God, uh, probably 50 movies and TV shows combined. Uh, I was uh, on the Wolf of Wall Street as Jonah Hill's stunt double. Uh, I worked on that movie Noah Russell Crowe for about three weeks. Um, I did a movie named Remember Me with Robert Pattinson, uh, from Law & Order TV shows to a bunch of other things. I Nowadays, I consider myself a stuntman, Above all, you know, on my taxes, that, that's, the, that's the biggest salary I make. And I'm also a uh, college professor at Penn State University where I teach instructional technology, instructional design, graphic design, computer science courses, and some videography courses. With all of that said, I try to take all of those different lives I've just explained, and I try to take them all into this building I just recently purchased. It's an old I think it was 1900s Greystone Church, and I was able to get it for a steal. And I, uh, I now am basically over my entire life, I've been collecting different things with this dream and this vision of basically taking all the passion and all the experience I've, I've had from pro wrestling and then taking my combined knowledge that I have with videography, cinematography now, and, and the way the film and movie business works. And I'm trying to basically package what the wrestling business currently is with WWE what the movie business is as far as the stunt and, and production world, as well as I was brought in by the Samoans. 
the old school traditions of what pro wrestling's about and how wrestling's supposed to be done. I'm trying to combine them all into this facility, and I've been working on it for about a year. It's called the Sanctuary, uh, and uh, it's it's really coming along. I don't know if you guys got a chance to check out any of the pics or the videos I sent over to you, but um, it's a really really incredible facility, and I I often compare it to a like an independent wrestling version of what NXT is. Uh, I I have a dream and a vision to basically make this an open house to anybody that is trained by a legitimate facility that they are welcome in my school to train here because I'm not doing this to make money. I make enough money in the stunt business. I make enough money in the, uh, in the movie, uh, in the movie business and teaching college that it's, it's not necessarily, uh, you know, a must for me to make money down here. So I'm doing everything I can to give back to the, uh, to the business. Uh, one of the things I'd love somebody like Bruce to come on to is we're going to begin starting to do cyber clinics. So if you could even just do something like a Skype call, I have a big 22-foot video screen in there where we'd be able to see you guys up on Skype. And in the ring, we'd basically be able to do the equivalent of what a clinic is when a bunch of the wrestlers all pay to come out and, and pay the vet to come down. Just even a lot of times hearing a lot of the old war stories and hearing about the way things were done back in the, in the golden years of pro wrestling, a lot of these kids could really use that kind of an education because – as you guys know, independent wrestling has kind of lost its way a lot, and I heard you guys talking earlier on about all the big spots and, and, and all the insanity. And uh, I, I think that basically there's, there's a trend of quote-unquote super indie wrestling going on, and uh, I, I think it just somebody needs to kind of slow it all down and remind people what the foundations of the business are. So in a nutshell, that's, that's me. Sorry for ranting there. Oh yeah, I think you need the uh, proverbial method to the madness, and uh, that all too often uh, that's one of the problems with this business today. Is even at the top levels, they themselves don't know what the hell the so-called method to the madness or the ostensible objective is. You know whether they're supposed to make it look real or whether it's the business trying to of the match and every bit elicit the uh, holy shit from the smart marks or you know. That, that's and that's not what this business is about. Yeah, you, you actually need to be able to define and uh, quantify whatever the hell it is in order to become good at it. In any other sport, you know, you you actually sort of have to, you know, start at the grassroots or the foundation and and say you're teaching a guy how to play football. You got to sort of learn, you know, what it's about, and then you sort of teach the fundamentals, and you become a specialist once you figure out how to play the game, whether you're going to be a, you know, a, a pass receiver, a quarterback, a defensive player, whatever. But in wrestling, there's not enough system to it, uh, at least these days. You know, I know when I was starting, uh, you know, you had to go through the dues paying and all that down in the dungeon, and then you would uh, learn how to do the basic stuff, you know, the holds and how to take a bump and how to uh, kind of uh, do some chain wrestling and maybe do a bit of uh, supposed brawling and that type of thing. And and they're always, you know, meticulously explaining the elements of ringside psychology and all this type of thing to you. And it started... Uh, taking shape and you started finding what your strong suits were whether you're better suited to be a, a more acrobatic type or a big brawler or, uh, or whatever you know and uh, 
and it was pretty systematic. But nowadays, uh, it seems to be anything but. You know, you have guys who are getting like to the WWE, and uh, they're not really ready. You know, they're being pushed maybe because they're big or they're playing an idiot role or something like that, and uh, and uh, they don't know whether they're supposed to be heels or faces or clowns or. Or or what the hell you know and uh, and after a while they get chewed up and spit out and it's not really their fault you know they they haven't really you know you wouldn't take a guy and put him in the NFL if he hadn't learned how to play football but I see that all too often in the WWE I see these big muscle heads and you know they get pushed and then they seem to disappear I see all these guys like the Great Kelly and I see guys like Ezekiel and Biggie and uh, John Morrison and guys like that who, you know, you see a little glimmer of something and next thing they're unemployed, you don't know they got fired because they couldn't work or they weren't getting over or they weren't playing the political games or, this, or whatever, you know, but uh, it's got to be a lot, it's got to be a lot more, uh, to me, uh, defined at at every level, you know, uh, and the, like the office or whatever, they need to have a better a, idea of what they're seeking from the wrestlers, and uh, and the wrestlers have to have a better idea of what uh, you know what's expected of them. And there's way too much kind of you know gaps and all this other in there, and it comes out in the wash. You know, it's it's one reason why there's so few. Uh, guys coming up right now that are uh, sticking around or uh, making it, you know, that's that's one of the big problems I see with the WWE right now is uh, there's hardly any uh, new guys that are really making it, you know, they got a few gimmick guys and then uh, they keep having to recycle the same old, same old, same old, you know, you see Big Show and you see... uh, Mark Henry and all these guys switching from heel to face and face to heel and all this other, you know, and it's primarily because there's uh, there's not much coming up that I see, you know, and most of the guys that are coming up are more kind of like some kind of uh, an aberration, like an Adam Rose or uh, even I see this, you know, uh, like Bray Wyatt and all that stuff, you know, now, to me, it's uh, more kind of like, you know, kind of bullshit gimmicks and stuff. You know, there's not much wrestling, you know, and, uh, and you know, that's one of the things, like we were saying before, uh, the, one of the only things that seems to be missing these days is the wrestling. you got everything else. you got the tits and ass, and you got the uh, talking computer, and you got the... Uh, the comedy and the bunny rabbit and the uh, Santino Morella coming back and Fandango and all this other bullshit, you know. But uh, I keep saying where the it, hell it is a bit oversaturated with gimmick. It really is. There's oh, not a lot of yeah. good quote unquote and, worker wrestlers anymore. And uh, it's cause and effect. I think there isn't because you know, in my days we used to refer to it as hot shotting, but you, you always maybe have. Uh, I think every territory had like what the midgets would come in once in a while, or you'd have a few uh, guys that maybe uh, were sort of quasi-comic relief or some such thing. But uh, they were always the exception rather than the rule. And uh, 
these days I see uh, and I see so much of that that and it, to me it compromises the uh, ostensible integrity of the wrestling. You know, if, if I'm expecting people to take something seriously, like you see them go to great lengths to do these extreme things with, say, Dean Ambrose and Bray Wyatt and the chairs and and then uh, the next match is they got the damn Bunny Rabbit and uh, Adam Rose and the Entourage and, and I'm kind of like, uh, it's like having a damned Pee Wee Herman skit in the middle of Die Hard or, or some damn thing, you know, like, you know, what, what the hell's going on here, you know. Uh, you know, I think, you know, I don't know what to attribute it to, whether, you know, to me it's kind of uh, flawed at every level, but, uh, you know, I ultimately uh, feel bad for the fans because, you know, uh, back in the day, the wrestling fans, I think, were, you know, able to indulge in, uh, Johnny and I have talked about it many a time, but I know back in, like, Calgary, we, we had shows every every week in Calgary and every week in Edmonton and we had some phenomenal wrestlers and uh the fans could really indulge and they they could become they could sustain you know their fandom or be fans but nowadays I don't know WWE comes to Calgary maybe once every 18 months or whatever you know even the big cities they you know, they maybe go two or three times a year, if that. You know, but but yeah, that, that's something that's been taken away from them, I think. You know, and uh, and that's something I think that's missing, and uh, that's a potential threat to the uh, you know the survival of the business if you don't, at some level, resow the grassroots and. The, the grassroots are sort of a, an anomaly these days. Anyway, you got all these. Uh, backyard uh, and I don't even put them down I, you know I more feel sorry for me I go, I, and there's a few up here in Calgary but there's no method to the madness it, you know most of them are trying to be a second rate copy of whatever they see in uh, WWE or TNA or Ring of Honor or something there you know see these guys doing Goofy, dangerous, high-risk, high spots, and everyone's got a weird haircut or you know a costume, or they got some wannabe stripper as their uh, ballet and all this other, you know, and uh, it, it's sort of like uh, Mister Dress Up or you know some damn thing. But there's no uh, method to the madness, from what I see all too often. You know, it's uh, they're all trying to be like WWE and if I was giving them, giving them advice I tell them that they should be striving to be sort of a more middle of the road uh, alternative to that crap or wrestling's the main thing and guys are learning how to uh, interact with each other and how to engage the crowd and all that other but uh, they don't want to hear that, you know, they don't want to be like, uh, you know, if they see Adam Rose or some bullshit on WWE, you probably see that on the indie or the backyard show, some guy. I don't I don't think there's going to be a lot of guys out there ripping off the bunny gimmick. I sure as hell hope not. I hope that's not what this ge- next generation is looking at and saying that's pro wrestling. I hope not, although I, uh, <laughs> yeah, it sounds funny, but I, you probably will. You probably see some 
somebody going out and buying a God help know, us all <laughs> a rabbit outfit or a bear outfit or a, you know a pink panda outfit or some damn thing you know yeah some some indie mark will think it's funny yeah you're right well I, yeah, I, I would say for for you and your facility that uh, especially being there close to Penn State that uh, you know a couple nights a week you should get off the Big Ten network and show them some real wrestling and show those young yeah, guys I, that well, through the, your place and show them what that's about. As long as Jerry Sandusky's not coming out of the woodwork. <laughs> yeah, no, no, we got him locked up, man. Hey, <laughs> hey now, hey now, too soon. Uh, yeah, I actually, again, I work for Penn State, and I mean, one of my main goals is basically tying in my facility with Penn State in some way in the long run, similar to the way that Full Sail University is tied into NXT, which really, it, 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 it's a double win because I'm able to take a lot of my college students that I'm teaching like videography to or web design to or social media, and I'm able to take them into my facility, basically get some free labor out of that, and then they're learning in the field how to do this stuff, though. And there's nothing like this in the area for them to learn this way. So, I mean, it's, it's a win-win-win across the board for the college students, me, and everything else. And, and hopefully... The bigger this, and I've only run five shows so far, so I mean, I am a baby in this, and I hope that someday, you know, a couple of years from now, I can call back in and I will actually have a reputation standing behind me that actually matters. You know, I beyond you know the the, the little bit with the the, the wrestler and and some stunt stunt stuff, um, I, I run a page called Angry Wrestling Vet that has about ten thousand subscribers, and that's. It, it it's kind of like a, an independent wrestling lessons that I feel are lost in this generation that I think a lot of trainers, and I think Bruce would agree with this, just teach their wrestling students how to bump, punch, kick, sell a little bit, uh, and, and a couple chain wrestling moves, and take their $2,500 plus and say, done with you, and never teach them the psychology behind anything that they're doing. And then they go, okay, well, it's about, they turn this worked business into a shoot. And, they, and I, I like the idea of a wrestler trying to, quote-unquote, be the best wrestler of them all, but there is no tangible, definable thing of what is the best wrestler. Is The Rock the best wrestler of all time because he's the most charismatic, entertaining superstar there was? Was Hogan the best wrestler of all time because he was the, the icon of the business? Was Chris Benoit the best wrestler of all time because he was one of the best wrestlers in the business? You know, you, you really, was Shawn Michaels, the best wrestler of all time was Bret Hart, one of the best wrestlers of all time. What is it that defines that in a worked business? You know, and I, I think it's more about getting back to what the core basics are and how you become the perfect hybrid of what Shawn Michaels was, what Bret Hart was, what The Rock was, what Hogan was. Learn what made each and every one of those guys successful. Break it down. Sure, shit wasn't a Hogan's wrestling, but he didn't need anything more than the five moves yet. Same thing with Cena. When you are charismatic and you can make your moves just work and you can sell to the chief seats and, and you suck the entire world into your moment, whether they're loving you, hating you, cheering you, booing you, it doesn't matter. They are paying attention to you. Uh, it, it's, it's, you got to break down all the different aspects of this business. And I, I said to Bruce last night, I think somebody like Chris Jericho was one of the guys that did this business right. He went to Mexico. He went to Japan. He went to uh, all around the world, Europe, everywhere. He learn this business the best way he can. He was up with you guys up in Canada. Uh, it, it, he learned this business perfectly, top to bottom. He's a great I think one of the things that's lost in the equation all too often is even though it's perceived to be an individualistic endeavor, 
more than anything, it's a team thing, you know, and uh, that's, yeah, that's to me one of the, the key things that makes I think the brotherhood a hurts. great wrestler. I, I, I think is, uh, whether you're willing to sacrifice and whatever you're doing is not just for you, but for the uh, promotion for the other guy you're working with, and uh, yeah. That, that's that's what always set apart the great workers to me, you know, like the Dorian Terry Funks or the Dynamite Kids yeah. or the Benoits or some of those guys. They work for the show. Uh, yeah, and that was always one of the, uh, you know, a lot of the guys who are the MVPs are the the most valuable guys on your roster were the uh, back the in the day. The guy who told you how to go out and do a job, he, he'll go out and do it with a smile. Oh, yeah, they used to refer to them He'll make the fans believe he's going to win. Yeah. Yeah, and they would uh, have this innate ability to, you know, get the other guy over and engage the crowd and uh, all this other. And uh, and uh, some of the guys who were the supposed stars, you know, it was well-known within the business. They weren't the greatest workers. Some of them weren't even good people, you know. They were, you know... Uh, egocentric a-holes who were uh, not appreciative of guys, yep. you know, sometimes they, that, that was one of the things that used to uh, irk you most about some of the stars is, you know, they would, uh, you know, use all these guys to get over, and then once they got a belt or they got the push, it was almost like they had forgotten uh, the, how they got there, you know. And uh, but, but yeah, those are and, a lot of the my, elements. My last student was the exact example of that. I had a a very and not to bring up a touchy subject, but I uh, I had a student that was just like that. I basically took the kid under my wing and you know basically taught him everything he knew, helped make him a great guy, you know. And then once he made it to the point where he felt okay, now I'm successful wash the hands of it. I mean, unfortunately, I think that's a lot, and, and I wish I could say that he's an exclusive case in this younger generation. I mean, you guys know from working with a lot of these kids that a lot of the, this generation is very much about themselves. They're a very plug-and-play, you know, uh, well, generation. I'm sure, Johnny would, I'm sure Johnny's heard the term, don't become a mark for yourself, and that yeah. that used to be one of the... Uh, in the old days of the territories and all like that... Uh, the pecking order and all that other, you know, it was not conducive to that. You know, I, I know I remember we used to have to ride around thousand, uh, 2000 miles every week traveling and all this other. And, uh, if your ego was starting to, uh, become a little bit too inflated, uh, the old farts would, uh, you know, can't, you know, can't do it anymore in this generation though. You you can't rough up a kid anymore. Like if I would have, I remember actually. No, I was that smart mouth kid when in 1999, when I was 19 years old, I had such a chip on my shoulder because I came in from this this inflated ego backyard mentality, and I was a good amateur wrestler, so I was a good little shooter, and I was tying up the guys at the training center. And once they got a hold of me and finally started beating it out of me. You know, unfortunately, in the year 2014, you can't just beat the shit out of a student anymore. You know, you can't just go and, and, and you know, give them the business a little bit and teach them. This is how the business is. And, I mean, if your dad's dungeon was still in business running the way it was in 1970, they'd shut it down. They'd go, no, you can't do this to human beings because it's just a different generation. So there's no real negative reinforcement you can really go out there and put. You just have to kind of – it sucks. You almost have to become that – that friggin' stooge and play politics. And, and it sucks because, like, you can't just go out and, and rough someone up and say, this is why you're stupid, and then hug afterwards. 
there, there was a time that you could go beat the shit out of somebody and then go, ah, all right, I get your point now, and, and hug and walk away as the boys do, you know? But it, it's a different generation, guys. Oh, I think that's one of the things that's missing in the equation, too, is the uh, understanding the politics a bit. I, uh, you know, if I was giving advice to any of these young guys, I'd, I'd spend a fair bit of time just on that because uh, I see a lot of these guys who prematurely fall by the wayside. And one of the reasons I've seen some guys who are pretty good athletes and seem to have all the uh, tools and they don't understand the politics, so they don't understand a lot of the little subtleties that uh, go into how to interact with people, how how and when to shut your mouth, and uh, when to be, you know, kind of circumspect and all this other. There's, there's a lot of those little things, and, uh, you know, some of the guys who understand them are uh, guys who are keeping their jobs and, you know... Uh, sustaining a, a good position on the roster and uh i see uh, i see a lot of guys who seem like they're you know going to be the next big thing and then next time i turn around they're no longer on the roster like wwe and i often wonder what happened to them you know like the john morrison types and i've it's, i've seen a whole bunch of them and i thought geez he might be a star you know uh Biggie or some of those guys, you know, and uh, actually, you know, they're unemployed, you know, and I don't know whether they pissed somebody off or they didn't know how to uh, blow smoke and, uh, you know, shut their mouth or what the hell, but that's another thing that uh, in the old days, you know, you sort of learned that just by kind of growing up, uh, you know, being around the boys and being on the road, but it was hard not to learn it, you know. You have it sort of beaten into you if you if you didn't, you know, uh, learn it. But nowadays, uh, I think that's part of the problem too, you know. And some of the guys it's are the most world respect. now. Yeah, like, well, I hear about well, let, guys let, like. Let, let me oh, let me ahead. step in. Yeah, let me step in. I got to say something. I've been quiet a little bit. I got to say something. It is a new generation today. And a lot of what we talk about on here is about how we've lost the opportunity of making those 2,000-mile weeks and riding with the veterans and really learning the business the way you used to learn it. Um, but I'm just going to say real quickly, man, if, if Bruce's dad, Stu, was still alive today and had the energy and the what for to take a kid down into the dungeon, the dungeon would still be wide open and running, man. Nobody would shut it down. Because when I broke into this business, those guys, like like Bruce was saying earlier, the old-timer, the generation before I knew, I knew the guys like Hiro Matsuda and the Bob Roops, they would, uh, if there was a problem or an issue with somebody, they would get booked against that person. And then during the match, with a whole audience of people in there, gee, that guy's arm would get broke or leg would get broken and look like the guy that had his body part broken did it sort of to himself. That's how it would be yeah. policed back then. And I think today that's what's hurting the business of today is because we don't have that legitimacy anymore. Do you think that they can get away with that, room. though, now on video, with, with, with high-definition video Stu, cameras? Stu, Again, like, Stu, Hart, Stu Hart's gym, his dungeon would still be alive and operating today if Stu was I, alive I think it would and, be. and I, willing to do it. And the one I just thing think about that it would Stu's get dungeon, nowadays. too, Stu's dungeon, uh, I uh, give my dad credit, I don't think he ever 
maimed a guy or broken a but uh he had this kind of uncanny ability to kind of scare the hell out of them, you know, take them to the, you know, brink and then uh let them come back and uh and I think they respected him for that at the same time. It instilled you Absolutely. know geez, you know, and I used to hear the well, same thing. Like and I think it and I think it built respect into the business. I think it made them respect this business and understand what it was about and what they had to do to to because when you go down that list and I've heard Bruce say it many a time that list of guys that Stu took down into the dungeon, when you hear those names on that list, they all went on yeah. to be very successful in this business. All and very I think successful. it was a common Absolutely. thing it's very common denominator and, and boy I'm sure no college Yeah, I I'm sure no college professor, but I think it sure taught the guys the respect of this business so they went on and passed it on to the next generation I, that they I knew. wish I could do it. I wish I could do it today. I honestly, and maybe that's just my my failing as a trainer. I, I, I think wish you're on the right I track. I think you got to stay stay the course, and you got to not not deviate or not kind of uh, compromise your principles or ideals along the way. And that that's one of the problems I think these days is way too much compromising. I think Vinny and them at times maybe get idealistic and all like that. And uh, I've often, I've said it for a long time, there's either too many cooks in that kitchen down there. Yeah. Otherwise you wouldn't have all this contradictory crap or maybe there's not enough cooks that know how to cook the meal one or the other, you know. But uh, well, I, I think there's I think no real good cooks anymore. Well, I, I think there are a few good ones out there, but I think the thing is, is that, Bruce is saying in sort of a soft way, I'm just going to, there's got to be somebody in charge. And somebody has to oh, say yes yeah, or totally. no. The buck's got to stop here. You got to, Somebody has to you be know, in charge. Uh, somebody has to be able to call that shot, make it, make that decision and move on. And sometimes it's not going to be the best decision for this person or that person, but that's the part of this business. I'll never forget when my brother took over the book here in Dallas for Fritz Von Erich we were talking about the business and him being the booker and how the thing, this was that. And he looked at me and he said, the toughest spot about being in this position is friendships and all that have to go out the window. This is about putting yeah. butts yeah. in seats yeah. and what's drawn and what's working and what's not. And if it doesn't matter, if it's my best friend or my worst enemy, I'm I either got to bring him in or bring yeah. him out. Yeah. yeah. It's, that, it does. That's rough. You got to look outside the box. Yeah. And yeah I think you need... At some point, the buck's got to stop there, and I, I don't see that in WWE. I might, you know, I don't make myself out to be on the inside there because I don't know what the hell is going on, but uh, it doesn't look to me like there's one person, you know, kind of definitively, you know. I would agree with that. Guys. They segment their show. They have producers yeah. now, I think. I think they produce segments, and I think that they probably have – I, and I don't know either. I would imagine they have five different producers or so that yeah, basically they're agents. They used to be agents. And yeah, sorry, go ahead. To me, it's bullshit. You know, if uh, you know Bill Belichick yeah. uh, runs the New England Patriots, whatever he, you know, the buck stops there. He's going to say, okay, we're going to have Tom Brady instead of Drew Bledsoe. Or we're going to yep. have this, and you know, and uh, it has to be like that. It has to be in the in uh, in the WWE. You know, uh, 
I don't see that. I, I see all too often things that totally contradict each other. Like, and uh, I don't know how the fans, you know, I I don't know how the hell you digest all that. You know, you're supposed to be taking it seriously. Then it's comedy. Then it's farce. Then it's you know, tits and ass, or you know, and I don't. I don't think uh, there's room for all that stuff, you know, whatever the hell you have should complement each other, but it should never detract or contradict, you know, and once it starts doing that, then the whole thing starts going sideways, and that's sort of uh, where it's been going for a long time, in my estimation. Yeah, I, I again, I, I think that they, they've lost the legi- legitimacy of it, and and with by doing that and today's generation is partly to blame and then again like you know John like you were saying a lot of the trainers out there that have stepped in and trained now they just take anybody that comes in with a full wallet it's not like setting somebody down and describing to them it's what they got to put in that it. way what what they what they got to take out of it what they got to give back what they have to do to get better what they got to do all these things that they, nobody sets them down and does that anymore and when you don't you know, if if you don't tell a kid to grow, grab a hold of the reins, they're never going to stop the horse. The horses are going to keep running. You and know, a lot so of the you trainers know, are not, we have to do it. A lot of the trainers out there have no business being trainers. They're just that's you factual. Know, uh, yeah. You know, you know, just scammers and bullshitters, and they maybe had a a few matches, or even some of the guys. Like, there's a lot of old farts that. Uh, you know, maybe he wore a star or had some supposed name at one time that it doesn't make them a good trainer, you know, just because a guy is maybe a great baseball player. I mean, Barry Bonds doesn't make necessarily make him a great uh, manager or coach, you know. And uh, there's a lot of guys out there who, like you said, are just trying to take money. And, uh, you know, they never had any... Uh, grasp of you know you actually got to go back if as a trainer to square one and, and you got to sort of have an implicit understanding of what the hell it is and and you, you got to understand all the little subtleties at at the foundation of it you know what what are you seeking to be and wh- what their vision of what the hell wrestling is and uh you got to understand uh you know it from every level, you know, the heel, the face, the jobber, the, you know, uh, instilling all that. And, and uh, I don't see too much of that uh, happening, you know. I'd, lo- I'd love And there's to, some people uh, that just can't teach. Oh, and they have no business. And I don't think they, you know, give a rat's ass about teaching either. They're just taking money from anyone that'll give it to them and uh there's sort of no nothing to quantify what a wrestler is you know if if you're in another business like if you're you know at university like Penn State you actually have to uh, teach a curriculum and, and it's pretty specific and all like that you know but wrestling yeah. is uh you know I venture to say any, you can basically lay anything on anyone, and they don't know whether you're uh, full of shit or not. You know, you could, you know. Well, uh, similar to what you said earlier, what is it that takes to make a really good pro wrestler? And I mean, 
you got to find what it is inside of you. You you were describing whether somebody's going to be a good grappler or a good aerial artist or a good oh, yeah, you gotta, uh, a brawler. You got to know who you back. are. Yeah, and 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 then you got to uh, impart all the uh, the different elements, you know. And you got to there's a lot of little uh, sort of things that don't meet the eye that really go into making a, a pro wrestler. And uh, I agree. Like you said, a lot of the guys that are pretending to be coaches uh, don't have a damn clue. You know, they've never you know. And uh, I, I feel sorry for a lot of the poor bastards trying to come up because uh, they're at the mercy of a lot of these people. You know, it might be scamming them or or taking their money and doing all the other. You know, and it, it's it's a tough time. I feel you know sort of sorry for a lot of the poor guys trying to get into it right now because uh, it's pretty hit and miss. You know. Um, not too, I, I don't know what all the wrestling schools out there. You know, there's hundreds of them. I gather, you know, and uh, thousands. I of can them. only imagine, you know. Uh, there's a dozen like, that I believe anymore are quality. Bruce, if you had to name the top ten wrestling schools that you know of, besides my own, obviously, uh, <laughs> uh, what would you say? I would say something like the Wild Samoan Training Center. We gotta be there. Yours. Uh, Kowalski's old school, but I don't even know if it's still holding up to what it was. Yeah. There's a, uh, a, a Texas wrestling one. Go, sorry? I couldn't even, I hate to say it, you know, I'm so, I couldn't even uh, off the top of my head name one because I don't know what, uh, you know, uh, and the other part of the problem I think is, uh, I, th- I think these, uh, the other half of the equation is, it, you know, as evidenced by what happened in Stampede, is I, th- I think uh, if you're doing a wrestling school, I think a part of it is having a damn operating promotion that where these guys can apply what they're learning and uh, go back to the drawing board and all this other. I know when my dad was doing Stampede, and we had guys that were pretty, uh, you know, seasoned so-called performers or stars like people like dynamite and brett and owen and guys like that and and benoit and all like that and they they still had to go back to the dungeon and uh you know do uh you know relearn things and apply this is long after they were already working you know and uh and uh i don't know whether that's happening either you know i would say it would be a you know in the best interests of somebody like the wwe to be uh more proactive in that whole thing as far as the training but i don't think that's the case either i i think uh i know back in the day johnny and i have discussed it that one of the things that the benefits of the territories back in the day was there was each territory had a different style, so you'd have these kind of guys who go around yeah. from territory to territory. And Calgary was more like a hard-hitting style, and Tennessee had a certain flavor to it. And uh, Amarillo, had, you know, and uh, but it, it's what I was saying about Chris Jericho. He learned a bunch of different styles from a bunch of different territories. I just used it on the more global scale, but I agree, we lost that. That is a lost art in pro wrestling. 
Southern wrestling yeah. is so different than Northern wrestling. Is so different than New Jersey wrestling. It is. There oh, are yeah. so many different flavors of ice cream out there. And if you're going to be a true artist, you can't just be black and white. You got to be an ice cream shop. You got to offer. And I, this is a cliche uh, term. I think it would be. You got to offer every flavor of ice cream. And I've said it many times. I think it was one of the biggest mistakes that Vince and them made back in the day was. Uh, systematically going out of their way to eliminate all the damn territories. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if they were paranoid or they perceived them to be a threat. I suspect that was their rationale, but um, I couldn't imagine like Major League Baseball determining in their infinite wisdom, say a George Steinbrenner or whoever the hell uh, decided we've got to get rid of the... Uh, Triple A, we got to get rid of all the minor leagues, and we got you know, and all like that. And because uh, that—that's one of the things that's missing today. You know, with uh, not only talent being developed, but all too often there's no place to. You know, back in the day, a guy would have his run in a territory, and then he would go somewhere else. But. uh Nowadays, they got all these guys like Big Show and Mark Henry and, you know, on and on. There's no place to send them, so they, you know, switch them from heel to face or face to heel, or they put a new costume on them, or they, uh, you know. And to me, it's uh, kind of uh, stale and stagnant, that kind of stuff, you know, but... uh, that's one of the problems these days. There's no, uh, there's no place to send guys. There's no, you know, kind of minor leagues or no, uh, you know, kind of place for a guy to kind of uh, get some seasoning or uh, whatever. And it's also bad for the grassroots. You know, the fans are kind of not being sustained either, you know, like we were saying before, you know, you know, in the old days you'd have territories 52 weeks a year and and the fans were getting their fix, but nowadays it's like the yeah. circus, they come once a year and uh, and that's that, you know, so I don't know. Well, I hope that with, I was going to say, well, I hope with my facility, I have a very, by the way, my fan base is a very old school WWE crowd. And I actually love that fan base because that's my favorite. Like between that '80s and '90s style wrestling, I, that's that seems to be my fan base. But something that I do hope to do down the sanctuary, as I was saying, with like the cyber clinics and everything, is to bring together the the, the varying styles and different mindsets of pro wrestling. Uh, I used to work the indie circuit with somebody named Mike Quackenbush, who uh, who runs Chikara. I hope to eventually bring him in on it. You know, I I. I have a familiar relationship with DJ Hyde of CZW, which is a style I'm sure Bruce that you do not accept at all, but it is a, it's a style that I understand this generation is getting used to. Um, I want to basically down there be able to bring in subject matter experts. And this is now the quote unquote college professor coming out of me. I want to basically make my place a learning facility where I can tap into all of the, you know, experts in knowledge that there are out there. So many veterans' knowledges could be being given to my students via that live Skype cyber clinic center. And um, hopefully, you know, I'm going to line up a bunch of guys for 2015. 
hopefully you could be one of them and uh, that we could have a Skype call in there for like an hour or two as you see some of the guys work matches, train, and do stuff in there that really can help dissect their wrestling and help evolve them as workers, learning from different styles, from from all the different flavors yeah. of ice cream. Uh, I, I'm well, not. I, think, I don't know all. No, I, I don't think so, anyone anyone who claims they know all is probably full of shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm. You know. I, I'm okay, but that's all I am. I'm I'm a decent professional wrestler, but I have a very good understanding for this business, and I know I'm a good educator. Uh, I, I it, it's my life at this point. That's what I was saying earlier on that there are some great professional wrestlers that have opened wrestling schools, but just like there's some very 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 intelligent college professors that knew their subject very well, but couldn't teach to a classroom. They just talked at a subject matter that was way above the college class's level. Uh, the school, no, I have the same uh, conflicts in, in, in higher academia. So, I mean, it's the same thing in pro wrestling. The, the uh, bad part about it is, unfortunately, and not to knock them, but I'd say the majority of the so-called pro wrestling schools, the primary objective is making money. You know, it's... And that's bullshit, and I, I agree. Nothing to do with their passion or their commitment to the business. You know, their, uh, if it means anything, that is completely my, my passion. I probably lose $500 a month in this thing, but it's worth it. I get residual checks from movies well, I don't even remember and, doing. Like, you know, know what I mean? My dad, this is passion. Know, my dad was never... Uh, like Back in my dad's day, uh, it was unthinkable to charge guys to train them anyway. He never took... If you're serious training. about it, you got to do it. Yeah. Yeah, it was... Uh, you know, and that that was why he put them through that. He went through that when he broke in way back when. And uh, he was that passionate about it that he felt it was obligatory to defend it. And uh, it was unthinkable for him to uh, have guys coming in that hadn't paid their dues, you know. And he, you know, that was... Absolutely. That, and that was the mindset... Uh, that he came up with, you know, and the guys who broke him and I was talking about that on the radio a while back was, you know, this old fart named Jack Taylor, who was uh, Frank Gotch's uh, chief running mate back in the Farmer Burns days. You know, that's how far back my dad's roots went. And uh, yeah, and uh, it, it was uh, kind of pretty hard scrabble, uh, you know, survival of the fittest uh, back in, in those days, but you know, uh, the guys that came out were kind of a testimony to what that was about. Because uh, you know, it used to be if you came out of certain territories, you know, it was almost like a label or a badge of honor. And in Calgary, it was like that back in those days. You know, the guys that had gone through the dungeon and had kind of uh, paid their dues and in, in uh, our promotion. Uh, if they went to another promotion, you know, be it Minneapolis or Texas or Carolina or whatever, you know, it's like uh, they burned their stripes. So they, you know, they must be pretty legit. And in most cases, they were, you know. And uh, it used to be like that within the business. You know, a, a guy would call Stu up, and and Stu would be engaging them, like uh, who trained you, or you know, and if you were. You know, out of, uh, you know, some of the names Johnny mentioned, like the Hiro Matsudas or, you know, the uh, Nelson Royals or the Dory Funk Seniors or, you know, it was like, uh, must be pretty legit. You know, if you throw out some name that nobody ever heard of, you know, it's kind of like, uh, 
yeah. I might take a pass on you type thing, you know. And uh, that's one of the problems, like we were saying before, you know, there's this myriad of guys masquerading as coaches, you know, and uh, and all too often they're not teaching anything about wrestling because they don't know anything about it themselves. And it's kind of this very hit-and-miss endeavor, you know, where they're more preoccupied with the gimmicks and uh, maybe wearing a costume and having, uh, you know... Uh, you know, all these other things that have nothing to do with wrestling, and that's sort of almost become the uh, the primary consideration. You know, and uh, rest, wrestling, as Johnny and I were saying before you came on, has sort of almost become secondary to the uh, all the other stuff, which is kind of, uh, you know, complete antithesis of what it really should be, in my estimation, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think the art of wrestling has really been lost. And, I mean, one of the reasons why I'm bringing in uh, uh, people for clinics, it, and I'm not – I really want to make sure I put a preface on this. I'm not by any means talking down at the Wild Swan Training Center because by by far, and this is a statement I stand wholeheartedly behind, they are the best bump-selling and, and working school that I know in the nation – but they weren't always the quote-unquote best wrestling school because, no disrespect to the Samoans, they weren't technical wrestlers. So I had to kind of go outsourcing beyond that to oh. become a better a better technical wrestler. But I believe in these clinics wholeheartedly. Bringing oh, someone like you and bringing somebody like a, a Les Thatcher. You, you have to have some glue to hold it all together. There's all these different components to it, including taking bumps, including... Uh, working heel or face or doing high spots or, Absolutely. you know, et cetera. But the thing that holds it all together is this comprehension, this psychology, uh, knowing all these little subtle facets about the cell sets up the comeback and the, uh, you know, this sets up that and the high spot ceases to be high spot if all you're doing is high spots and uh, all of that, you know, and engaging the crowd. And, and, and that's... And I actually learned that down south from uh, Tennessee area. The uh, I had a trainer down there actually even before I went to the Wild Samoan Training Center uh, named Mike Combs. And there's somebody who I guarantee nobody in the world knows besides who I, uh, besides me. He's one of the first guys that ever taught me how psychology worked about what about feeling the character, about knowing how a heel works and why he does what he does. Oh you know, yeah, you got to understand. There, there's a psychology. There's there's a, a feeling about it. Oh yeah, a big part of it is you got to transpose it to the eyes of the marks, you know, and and realize you gotta, that the marks, uh, you know, uh, ultimately subliminally are living through the, uh, you know, especially if you're a face, you know, that's why the cell sets up the comeback in my estimation because the marks traditionally are underdogs themselves and they see all this so can i comment on something sorry something that you said earlier on is basically you can't become a mark for yourself don't you feel that to become truly enveloped in your character you almost have to become a mark for what that character is so you can become one with it i i hate to sound so uh, you know psycho i think you gotta you gotta become a mark for it you gotta understand you have to live live that What I'm saying about being a mark for yourself is... You have to notice you got it off. (laughs) Or, like, uh, all of a sudden, I I can't do a job because I'm a champion now, or I, you know... Exactly. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Nobody needs to be a bigger fan than you of your character. you got to own your character. you got to live it. you got to feel it. 
Yeah, exactly. I think uh, totally you got to, you know, and that, that's two different things, you know, or you're, you know, just like Robert De Niro is almost investing himself in, uh, you know, uh, playing a Correct. character. Correct, method Okay, you know. so I'm glad that we agree there. I, I, I wanted to make sure because I, I actually teach at my school that my guys need to full wholeheartedly believe in their character because this is now, when I say I'm in the movie business now, from having conversations with some serious actors, oh. they've discussed with me method acting and they basically and say that, you know, you've got to feel it the, in your heart. You've got to become that guy. And you got to uh, remain in character in the public. You know, I, I hate it, and uh, Johnny would, I'm sure, tell you the same. But back in the day, you know, I remember these characters, like pretty pronounced characters, like Abdullah the Butcher and people like that. And uh, the Samoans in, in public. The Samoans they, live their gimmick. They yeah, live their gimmick in public. I didn't think they knew English. When, when I met him, I was like, oh, my God, you speak perfect English. Oh, I, I, remember, I was such uh, a mark for the character. And the boys all did in those days, you know, and if you didn't, like we were saying before, your peers would uh, tear a strip off you. You know, if we had, you know, like for example, you got a masked guy, you know, uh, they went to great lengths to make sure nobody ever saw them without their mask off. Or, you know, uh, when they were in, you know, it was all kind of protecting the gimmick or whatever. But it was all like that back in the day. And uh, I think uh, that's one of the things that's missing, you know. Uh, I remember, you know, we, we travel on the road and everything, but you'd never ever in like a truck stop or whatever, you never see the heels and faces come in together or sitting at the same table or any of that stuff, you know, and, uh, it was, uh, and, and if, uh, if there was some guys that were doing that, uh, you know, there's a good chance they got their asses kicked or they would be, uh, maybe fired yeah. or, uh, brought up on the carpet. Like, uh, you know, we're going to all this length to, uh, get you over playing this role. And then you're, you know, going out and sitting, you know, in the, bar or restaurant with the guy that, you know, just uh, beat you up or whatever, you know, so that was all kind of uh, the way it was back in the day, and uh, and I, I think there's uh, still a lot of merit in that, you know, uh, and to me it's disconcerting for the marks to see, you know, going to all these lengths to uh, play these roles, and then, you know, you're hanging out in public after, you know, and to me, you know, I may be old school, but it seems like there's something, uh, wrong with that, or it's, it's like you're kind of, uh, compromising what you busted your ass to get the people to believe this, and then you're going out and, uh, kind of, uh, completely, uh, kind of disregarding that after, and to me, there's, uh, maybe from my old school perspective, there's something totally wrong with that, you know, and, but, well, I, I think that I, I understand. Again, again, I, I, I think, think that's a believability. You know, I mean, uh, uh, when we do our shows down here, you know, uh, we have intermissions between the matches, and certain guys go out to the table and talk to the fans and take pictures and do their stuff, and and certain ones don't, and and that's what makes that believable for that night for those people in that building, and and I just think there's a little bit of that lost today. At no matter what I, level, at, at the independent circuit, 
up to what Vince is doing. There, it's some of the, there's just a little bit of that loss today, and I hate that for the guys of today. Because as I was telling somebody earlier today, my dream for the business and for the boys of today would be able to go to a territory someplace and get to work six or seven nights a week and really hone their craft and learn this this trade because that's that's something else that's being lost today is guys are working long term vision I'd like to do that here. You know, the guys are working three or four times a month. You know, you'll hear a guy say I've been working ten years and he's had two hundred and fifty matches. You know, I mean I don't know I don't know how professional you can be and and be able to do that. So it's just a it's just a lost art, you know. Hey, John, we've been on for an hour and a half. I got a couple other people I got to get on. Get, give us a, a website or give us something where people can know how to get hold of you. And be sure and contact me. I'd love to visit with you about one of your Skype things. I would love to have you on. I, I again, I am completely <coughs> open to that. And if I could have just a real quick little wrap up here for myself, uh, there is a we have a show. Uh, next Sunday, for anybody that's listening, if anybody's in the tri-state area of Pennsylvania, uh, we have a show next Sunday where we are bringing in uh, Luke Gallows and uh, Knox, uh, both TNA superstars, uh, uh, Gallows of the Bullet Club over in New Japan. Um, And and we have our normal roster where we're going to be doing a live uh, video feed of it. So, I mean, if you guys want to watch up in Canada at next Sunday uh, at 5 o'clock on Eastern Standard Time, uh, I will be broadcasting live on the Sanctuary PA TV uh, YouTube page. Uh, anybody that's on Facebook, please subscribe to our page, uh, facebook.com backslash Sanctuary PA. Uh, Twitter, we are Sanctuary PA TV. Uh, the dot com is not up, but we are Sanctuary PA dot TV, and we are Sanctuary PA TV dot com. Uh, but we are getting ourselves together. I am a baby in this. But I promise you, if you check out the pictures of our shows, you check out the video feed that I, I, I sent you guys, you will see that I'm starting something here that is, is, is truly, truly special. And you, you talk about passion. Something that I can say that every single member of my roster has is pure passion. And they bring it to the ring. They, they bring great characters without overdoing it while each and every one of them are handpicked by me to make sure that they are good workers as well. It is uh, something I'm very proud of as far as that in just five shows, how far we've come. Uh, I am super excited for next week's Sanctuary Show 6. And uh, I can't thank you guys both enough for, for having me on, and I would love to have you both at the Sanctuary on one of our live Skype calls because this is something that I'm doing I, I promise you guys, uh, shooting wholeheartedly, I'm not trying to make money on this. Uh, I think somewhere 10 years down the line, I'm going to be making money on this. But right now, I, I, I don't care how much money I lose on it. I am passionate about this vision. And all I want to do now is give people the, that emotional feeling of connection with the audience that both of you know what I'm talking about, that I had over in Italy when I was wrestling in front of twenty and 30,000 people. It was an energy. It was something I got static in my hands that I could not describe. And all I'm trying to do is create something like that for these kids. Uh, it has that old ECW arena vibe is, is, is another way I could describe it. There's something special going on here, and I, I hope as many people as I can, I want to join in and make a part of this because well, it's I something that's, that's not exactly just me, a lot of guys believe in. The key to what you're saying is I think you got to sort of – you know, spread the gospel as as they say. You know, because 
that, that that's the other and I won't uh, digress into another thing here but uh that that's one of the things uh, right now is they need people like yourself and Johnny and some of these others and it almost needs to become to where those people are all sort of working together you know that, that's one of the problems if you're if you're just doing a one off in uh Pennsylvania or a one off here or one um it's tough to sustain it at some point you got to kind of uh spread the gospel like to where these promotions are working together and you're regenerating this you know getting the fire fan the flames and all like that and i think it needs to go back to that you know uh in any sport you know you have a sort of a starting point and then you know like the baseball way the hell back in 1869 with cincinnati red stockings whatever but they spread the gospel and kind of got the uh and and it kind of grew you know and that, that's what i think that's one of my objectives that's sort of what i'm seeing with the wrestling is you need to get these passionate people like you were saying you know kind of uh working together and kind of re-developing uh, and, and it's it's kind of a huge undertaking and has to start it's rough it's been a rough road yeah and it has to sort of start in, uh you know uh, at that embryonic stage and grow from there you know and uh remains to be seen if that's possible you know but as i've said many a time before is i think uh that would be if I was a WWE administrator, I'd be endeavoring to, uh, you know, kind of fortify those types of things and uh, work with, you know, a little more interactively with them, you know, and uh, yeah, that's part of their. And, and I really want to, I, w- I want to make sure this is an offer. I make sure I announce on a radio show something that is public as yours. Uh, my facility is open to every other major true and honest wrestling trainer. So something like the Monster Factory, something like Johnny Rods' school, something like the Wild Samoan Training Center, your school, anybody like that that ever wants to come down and use my facility as a training facility to be able to film broadcast under. Because I have a full production. I'm building a studio. It has a four or five camera setup on a giant video board where it is full, not Vince McMahon quality production, but probably production Vince was pulling off in the 1980s. Anybody that's wanting to use this place as a learning facility, I'm not trying to make money off of it. I'm trying to help the business in any single way I possibly can. I go out and I break away from my real life and go on Angry Wrestling Vet and put out statuses to make sure I'm spreading the quote-unquote gospel of pro wrestling. Anything I can do to help the business, I'm open to it, uh, and that goes out to any... I think you're on the right track. I think uh, exactly what you're doing right now on the radio is part of that. You know, uh, Hopefully, uh, you're... Thank you for giving me the platform. Thank both of you yeah, guys. Yeah, hopefully you're benefiting maybe from even getting a perspective from Johnny or myself. You know, we've been down that I road. I am. Maybe uh, learned a few things along the way, but that, that's... You uh, gained, you gained a subscriber to your channel. I will listen every week wholeheartedly and passionately now. Yeah, and feel Just free to come on and uh, feel free to stay on to the to the end of the show if you want to throw anything in. I, I'm not sure who Johnny's got coming on here. I, there's a few people I gather, so uh, uh, let's see how it goes. That's up to Johnny. John, Johnny, thank it's you up so to much you, for man. being on tonight, buddy. 
And did thank you, you so uh, much. Uh, I'd love to be on again, man. Did you throw out your uh, your uh, website or all that stuff? Uh, again, it's Sanctuary PA. Um, if you Google it, it's the best way. If you're Googling anything about my background, John Trotsky on Google, you can find anything about me. Uh, you can find out anything about me through Facebook. But again, main plug, Sanctuary PA TV uh, on YouTube, Sanctuary PA TV on Twitter, and Sanctuary PA on Facebook. Please subscribe, help us grow, and help us help better the business. Thanks, yeah. John. Have a great night, buddy. Thanks, Thanks a lot, guys. Much, Thank you. I'll be in touch. Right. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Yeah, you know, I think, Bruce, one of the things that, uh, you know, I would say what he's saying, I love what he's saying, is respect the business and protect it and just move forward with it, right? I mean, that's what... Oh, yeah. Uh, it's like my dad what, used to what, say, nothing great was ever accomplished without some passion. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I'm glad there is a few people that still have some passion out there like yourself and him and uh wish there was more. Yeah, me too, man. Hey, I... I know we had something set up tonight, so I want to go to the lines. I think uh, Bob Brooks is on the lines with us. Bob, you're on the air with Bruce and Johnny. Hey, how are you guys doing tonight? Good. Uh, nice to have you on board, Bob. Uh, what's up? Thanks a lot. Well, you know, it take you back in time. Uh, I, I know we're kind of limited on some time here, but uh, uh, since we were always talking about the classics, uh uh, we've got a couple of uh, great guests that will be coming along here in the next few weeks. Uh, so just to let everybody know, uh, we've got Blackjack Mulligan coming in, uh, Greg Gagne, great AWA star, and then the Assassin, the original Assassin. Uh, Jody Hamilton will be joining joining in, well, those uh, are, uh, in a couple of weeks. So Those are all uh, impressive names and uh, old associates of mine. I, uh, I'm... Uh, looking forward to that. You know, all those guys are uh, guys that have, you know, uh, a lot of history, and I'm sure they got a lot of right. perspective. So that that's great. Uh, I'm sure uh, fans will love to hear some of the stories and insights from those those three. Right. Yeah. We'll we'll go back in the day and and uh, you know bring out uh, some of the, some of the travels, especially especially like with the assassin. Uh, Great road stories, and uh, you know him and Tom Ernesto, and uh, uh, they traveled together for 15 years, and uh, he he's just got some great stories to tell. I just just talked with him yesterday, so uh, you know you, you want know to all those guys, hey Johnny? Uh, yeah, one of the great tag teams of all time, man. I, I had the privilege of working mm-hmm. with them when I was 18, and and uh, taught me so so much. The two of them did, and the thing about Jody Hamilton and Tom Ernesto, a lot of people don't realize is they wore sports sports coats and their hoods into every building and, and out of every building, and that's who the people knew they were. They weren't, you know, the guy that put on the mask, or they weren't. They were the assassins. They were, uh, the body types were very similar. One was a little bigger than the other, but their body types were very similar. And, and they made a pact when they started that tag team that sport coats and their hoods would go on, you know, 30, 40 miles from a town. And they were oh, yeah. those. They were that team when they got there, and they were that team when they left. And uh, you know, again earlier on the show, when we were talking about you know doing a job or this or that, it didn't matter what they did in the ring that night. They were as hated leaving as they were when they came in. And, and oh, that yeah. was that persona yeah. they created. So you know, I, 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 I yeah. yeah, a lot of respect. And something, for 
some something some of today's wrestlers maybe uh need to revisit some of those old school kind of uh principles you know i believe that's something that's one of the things that's missing and um comes out in the wash yeah all right, well, you, yeah. you, you know what, guys, I'll tell you what, uh, you, you just hit the nail on the head because, like I said, he's got some great stories, and uh, one of them I'm going to make sure he tells uh, uh, that has to do with the mask and uh, them leaving uh, arenas. So uh, we'll, have, we'll have a good time with uh, with him. A um, couple things I, I did want to mention, uh, uh, just uh, regress here, and uh, you, you guys were mentioning uh, wrestling schools a few minutes ago. Uh, if you don't mind, I'll throw out a couple that, that uh, are – Operating and uh, doing pretty well, which of course is Harley Race has got his camp down in Eldon, Missouri. Uh, Handsome Jimmy Valiant uh, in Shaw's, uh, Shawsville, Virginia, and then uh, Jesse Hernandez, one of the Friars from the Friars One and Two, uh, operating in Fontana, California. So just uh, a couple of you know three of the reputable schools, um, you know from the from the uh, old days, if you want, if you will, and uh, uh, just some reputable names uh, in the business, you know. So. Uh, yeah, I wish them all well. I uh, I know if I was uh, in Missouri or whatever, uh, I had a chance to uh, you know pick a guy like Harley's brain. I'd be uh, you know taking full advantage of something like that. You know, was, you know. Right. That, but yeah, there's not enough of those guys around, so I uh, certainly uh, hope people in those areas take advantage of you know, learning from those guys, you know, you can learn as much from them, you know, I, I, I was outside at the Jesse, ring as you would in the ring. I was at Jesse's school about a year ago mm-hmm. for an evening. I, uh, went, he wanted me to come by and talk to his students and I did and visited with him. He had a, he was in a great facility. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I didn't like how, the ring was set up in the middle of the room with probably another thousand people in the building watching everything they were doing in the ring. I didn't like that part of it. No, um, I don't. Uh... But 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 uh, uh, sure had a bunch of students there and sure was trying to get some training done. But uh, you know, you're absolutely right. There are some there are some facilities around the country, around the world, that are training and doing the right things, and then. You know, everybody that looks into that needs to go and really observe what they're doing and how they're doing it and see if it's right for them because, uh, um, you know, lots of times you'll go to places and the big name on the book isn't the guy that shows up in the gym to train. And that's not that's not really learning that old school way either. No, I, I, uh, right. I'm disdainful of a lot of that bullshit where you got some big name who's supposedly got a his name attached to some uh like the Joe Montana football camp and then yeah. they show up for the first day and say hi and sign a few autographs and do a bit of glad handing and then you never see him after that or you know but yeah I uh, I I uh, more than happy to throw a you know a bone out there for any of those guys you know and if there's any other uh legit wrestling camps out there uh let us know you know we'd be happy to put your name out there well you know on on a sad note here guys uh you know i I wanted to bring up i talked to uh, bob johnson about it and he asked me to uh you know remind everybody you know uh, of course the awa 
uh, had a big loss this week with uh, the passing of Roger Kent, one of the all-time great announcers, uh, along with, you know, uh, late Marty O'Neill. Uh, you know, you, I remember oh so well, I mean, you know, Marty saying, and now down to ringside and Roger Kent, you know, uh, along with Rod Trungard and some of the uh, the names, you know, from uh, the early AWA days. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, like I say, we lost Roger. You know, he's been in, been in poor health uh, last uh, year or two, and uh, yeah, uh, we lost uh, him earlier I was told, this week. Uh, oddly enough, you know, that Roger was going to be, uh, Bob had told me that Roger was going to be joining us here on Heartbeat Radio uh, a short while ago. You know, he was going to apparently come on with Greg Gagne, and uh, so sad to hear that, you know, I, uh, certainly a legendary name, you know, I, uh, I never had the opportunity to meet him in person, but I remember hearing that Marty O'Neill and Roger Kent were sort of like a, a legendary, like a Vince Scully or a Joe Caragiola or a Mel, Al- Mel Allen type, you know, right. in, uh, the wrestling business, so... Uh, that's, yeah, and, you know, he was, you know, Bruce, he, he, he had so many uh, one-liners, and, you know, he was famous for saying Katie by the door, and, uh, you know, he's on Rubber Lake Street and things like that. And, you know, uh, uh, the thing was, you know, uh, they would come on on Saturday uh, here in Chicago, you know, in the Chicago area, and, uh, you know, it was really perfect timing because they would get you, you know, primed and ready to go for the night show at the, uh, at the amphitheater. And, of course, you know, uh, you and I were talking about a few weeks back, uh, you know, the AWA and WWA, you know, because of Ganya Snyder and uh, uh, Dick DeBruiser, you know, uh, kind of interchanging uh, talent there. Um, you know, you had opportunity to see a lot of, lot of different guys. And, uh, you know, uh, again, Sam Meneker was the, was the you know, uh, big name announcer for uh, Dick DeBruiser's uh, group. Um, yeah, he was up and, here you know, for yeah. Stu a long time, old Sam, you know. Yeah, yeah, that, that was Back in the an era of there was some iconic uh, announcers. You know, we had a guy up here named Ed Whalen who was pretty good, and there, there was there was a number of them. You know, I just hear hear of that. Uh, you know, uh, and I today's announcers, I don't like to put them down, but uh, they don't compare. You know, they uh, just to me a bunch of talking heads, and uh, you know. Very few of them kind of even know how to describe a match, or they don't have any personality or character compared to that. So, yeah, well, you know, well, the, I, uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, it's a dirty shame that the world doesn't know about a lot of these announcers and referees and 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 part of the show that was wrestling back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Early, even the early 80s, when the territories were running, there's so many of those guys that are sort of been forgotten because the whole world doesn't know about them, only that small area that they were in. And I know referees really feel the impact because I know right now in the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame we don't have a referee because most referees back in the day only worked a territory. They didn't work 20 territories during their career. And same thing with a lot of the local announcers and, oh, yeah. and, and broadcast yeah. people. They didn't they didn't move around the nation or around the world. They just worked. I, I know you and I, uh, Johnny, Man. would know that uh, some of those referees were a huge integral part of 
whether a match got over or not, you know, they were, you know, uh, I remember the good referees would be uh, doing all the intermediary stuff and you'd be uh, giving messages, especially in tag matches. And, uh, and, you know, they knew when to be there and what, you know, when not to be in all this other, you know, so there are, there are definitely some phenomenal refs that were unsung, you know, uh, you and, know. and the same, and the same with, with the announcers. I mean, you know, again, this, the AWA announcer, as soon as Bob told me his name, my mind froze in time for a minute. And I said, Oh yeah, I remember hearing his name on that broadcast. I remember hearing seeing him, you know, those are the kind of things. And it's a dirty shame that we don't get more, and I don't know how to I don't know how to stand on the building loud enough and yell loud enough to get people to hear, but it's a dirty shame we don't get some more recognition for guys like that in this business that uh, were really an integral part of this business and part of the 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 great uh, years in this business when we were drawing so many people around the nation, you know. Yeah, it really yeah. is. Yeah, well, you know, guys, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, you, you talk about some of the great referees, and again, I have to go back to uh, the Dick DeBruiser, uh, WWA, but I mean like Connie Marker and, uh, you know, Johnny Shorn and all of, you know, those guys were, you know, mainstays. They were there forever. Uh, you know, in, in Chicago, you know, Mike Figueroa, uh, Percy Franklin, these referees, I mean, they were, they were state officials, and, uh, you know, I know, Bruce, you and I have talked about, again, you know, going back with the the uh, Department of Professional Regulation in, in the state, uh, but these guys—I mean, they—they they were serious referees. You know, they weren't like like you say—they weren't a, a, a puppet. They were going out there, and and if that referee told told them to break a hold, you you know, Mike Figueroa tell you break a hold, you broke a hold because, uh, like I said, Paul Christie, uh, you know, Golden Boy Paul Christie learned the hard way with Mike years ago. Uh, he he had picked up his opponent. Uh, the match was getting heated. He picked him up and put him up on top of the uh, turnbuckle. And uh, Mike Figueroa told him, you know, uh, back off. And, you know, and uh, he got, I mean, here's little Mike Figueroa, about five foot six, And uh, he walked up to Christy and, that, and put his finger, you know, because cause he picked Mike up and put him on top of the turnbuckle uh, as well. And uh, Mike put his finger up to Chris's nose. And he told him, he said, if you ever put your hands on me again, he said, you'll never wrestle in the state of Illinois. He said, do you understand me? <laughs> and I mean, and, and this was, you know, of course, this was back in the locker room when he got me. But Mike was, I mean, he was dead serious. And Chris was like, oh, he said, hey, I, I things just got a little carried away. And, you know, uh, you know, I apologize. Of course, they became great friends later on. But, you know, uh, they they were, you know, very serious. Uh, Henry Van Loon was another one. Stan Sarbernack used to be the police chief in Bridgeview, Illinois, and, uh, uh, used to teach self-defense to the uh, Chicago Police Department. So these guys were the real deal, you know. And, I remember uh, like some of the refs there, used to you know, keep you honest, you know, yeah. if you didn't kick out, they'd yeah. count three. And, and, uh, <laughs> Absolutely, man. That's tough that was shit, you I, know. When, hey, when I first started, when I broke into this business out in Los Angeles, Leo Garibaldi had me referee for about three months, and I, I didn't do all the shows, but I'd come to most of them and do a match or two, and, and, uh, that was one of the first things he said to me. He said, now, when you dive in and make a count, you count to three. Their shoulders aren't up. That's their fault. And and by yep. God, I counted a couple guys out and got a pretty good butt chewing from those guys that got counted out. But Leo would say, uh, it ain't his fault. You did it wrong. And that was part of that learning process of the respect and knowing when and what and how. And 
that you know we've talked about the entire show that's sort of forgotten today and it's a uh, uh it's funny how everything you know when we talk about these things it sort of becomes full circle and then it's another circle and then it's another circle and and uh uh it's just sort of funny how the circle of this stays on and and i hope again oh, yeah. from my from my perspective i hope for the young guys of the business today that that circle keeps making a big circle and something will open up and give these guys an opportunity again to to wrestle 360 days a year and and learn this trade the way they want to learn it yeah i totally agree hopefully uh Maybe this broadcast, in its own small way, might uh, you know be part of that. You know, just kind of getting that word out there like that. You know, so. Hey, Jenny, yeah. I was going to ask you. This is Bob Brooks. I was going to ask you real quick. When you were uh, in, in uh, L.A., was Tom Rice still in the business at that point, or had he already uh, been gone? Do you Do you remember? Tom Rice. Yeah, he he used to work. Uh, do you remember when they used to have shows? This is going now. This is going back quite a few years okay like i mean we're talking like the 50s but they were working uh at the uh hollywood uh, legion stadium uh for Star yeah Wars. that was that was that was before me yeah i just didn't know if tom rice was still around uh at that time or not and uh, i really didn't hear much uh you know about him later on and uh i, I didn't know if, if you had any any word on him or not i know carl lauer uh, from cauliflower alley club uh you know, was out there, and he he talked about Tom Rice, and he was known for being pretty pretty hot headed guy. He he he'd get in there and start you know getting ticked off and you know roughing it up really. You know, I mean, like almost every time he got in the ring. And I I, I just didn't know if you had an opportunity to uh, run across him when you were there. No, I didn't, man. I didn't. I, I met a lot of great people breaking in in Los Angeles. It was one of those points of uh, of uh, departation where a lot of guys coming. Uh, on their or going on their way to Japan or coming back from Japan would stop and maybe mm-hmm. work a day or two before they went back to the territory they had left to, to make the trip to Japan and so there's so many guys coming in and out and you had the opportunity to work out and train with so many different guys from around the country because of that opportunity so but no that's not one of the names and I mean uh, meeting the great Gory Guerrero the you know the father of all the Guerrero family. Um, getting to know him, and I know the, that's how Carl Lauer got started was through Gory Guerrero, and getting to know Gory was such a privilege and an honor. And Peter Maivia, and God, I mean, I could go on names and names, but uh, that Los Angeles area was really controlled by the LaBelles, Mike, and of course his brother Gene, and and uh, the Mexican TV or the Spanish the Spanish TV they had there was so powerful and and. Uh, uh, it was a great learning place because you had such a variety of guys to work with. Legendary. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Bob, we got about ten minutes left, man. I'm going to get you to uh, give us some parting shots, and then we're going to get out of here for the night. Okay. Well, hey, I, I appreciate you guys uh, having me on. It's always great to talk about the classics, uh, like Johnny was saying. Uh, you know, it's just a shame because so many of them have been – you know, put in the past, and I hope that uh, uh, all the listeners here on Heartbeat Radio are uh, enjoying, you know, what I can bring to you, you know, as far as the classics. Um, just a, a, a little note here. I wanted, I wanted to say, if you go on Yahoo um, and you look up uh, uh, Tri-State Wrestling, promoter Bob Brooks, uh, there's, there's a really nice article that's been floating around 
uh, from the 80s when I uh, promoted in Chicago. Um, and a uh, real nice article from the Chicago Tribune. So hopefully uh, you guys will get a chance. I know the uh, Ballistic Brent Myers, uh, he's been kind of posting that. And uh, we've, we've been able to find a lot of the wrestlers uh, that uh, were part of my tri-state wrestling in Chicago uh, from the fabulous Kelly brothers and, uh, of course, Baron Von Raschke and, and all those guys and, uh, B- uh, Buddy Reed and just, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the names out of the past, uh, uh, have been really coming around and we, we're, I don't know, just, just a little talk way in the background for 2015, but, uh, talking about maybe a reunion and, uh, bringing in some of the guys and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll let you know, we'll keep everybody posted. Okay. But, um, you know, uh, like I said, we got some great, uh, great stars coming up here. Um, you know, over the next few weeks, and uh, Johnny, a pleasure to talk to you. I never got a chance to meet meet you in person, but uh, you know, you're a great star in your own right, of course. And uh, wish I had a chance to talk to you. Hopefully, get to meet you in the in the near future. Very near future, man. We'll get to meet each other. February eighth, since you shot that out there. February eighth, the Red Bass. Excuse me. February seventh, the Red Bass Team Texas Shootout here in Dallas. And earlier in the show, I, I mentioned all the Hall of Famers. Hall of Fame weekend in Amsterdam, New York, the third weekend in May. Just a quick plug on, on your way out, Bob. Thanks so much for being on with us tonight. Okay, guys, thanks a lot, and we'll talk to you next week right here. Radio. Thank you, Bob. I'll look forward to it and uh, give my best to uh, those three uh, guys that are going to be coming on. Uh, look forward to uh, Jody and uh, Blackjack and uh, who's the other guy here? Uh, uh, Why, well, man, Jody and Blackjack's big enough right there, man. That's uh, I know, I know, Greg, I know, Greg, Greg Gagne is going to yeah. be on on one week, and uh, uh, I hate, I hate, I'm going to be gone because I sure was looking forward to uh, hearing some stories from Greg and and asking him a few questions. But I'm sure that you'll uh, you'll get that job done. Yeah, it should be uh, very illuminating. Yeah, and and you know, again, for me, much like Calgary. The AWA territory is such a, an interesting topic for me because I never got to work that territory yet. I met so many of the guys that did and traveled those roads, and and uh, so I always find it interesting to hear those stories, you know. And I and I got to step in right now and say, Bruce, we're about five minutes out from the end of the show, but I hope I didn't step on anybody's toes by saying that earlier. But I do feel that if your father was still alive and he still felt like going downstairs. There'd be a line back to the American border. These young guys today wanting to come up and being stretched by him. Oh yeah, uh, was part of the dues paying, and uh, you know, <laughs> it was uh, what it was all about. So yeah, hopefully something like that may still manifest itself again. But keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, I mean, I just again, you know, I, 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 I just feel like. You know, and you and I have talked about it, and, and a lot of the things we said tonight are are just Johnny on the spot. And uh, uh, but you know, I say this a lot, and I get people get mad at me for saying this, and but I, I can't help it. There's so many guys out there today that want to train to be in this business that need to be sitting down before they buy a pair of boots and a set of tights and understand that maybe their best position is. Uh, cooking the popcorn or or taking tickets or or running a camera or doing something else not actually getting in the ring and i think that's one of the biggest problems we have today is that most people that 
are running these so-called schools um, are just like you know, like you said, they're just taking the money and doing it for a profit, and they're not really setting these guys down and finding out where their passions at and where their hearts at and where their desires at. I know for many years uh, I ran a small school down in Crowley, Texas, and for the entire time I was there, I'd have guys come in and I always set them down and talk to them first. Oh, you need to. And I would, you and, don't. And, and, uh... and, and, and I would, and I'd run them off. You know, I'd tell them, "Well, this probably isn't for you." You know, I'd run them off, and then six months later, you know, I'd see a picture of them wrestling on somebody's card because they went two counties away from me and went training with somebody else, and they smartened them up and trained them and sent them out there, and they were as bad as I thought they were going to be. <laughs> Eight months before that. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's, that's you know, in a so microcosm. I, what's wrong with the business today? <laughs> you know, I always yeah. found it sort of funny. You know, they'd come back and say, "Oh, I learned how to wrestle," and then I, you know, I'd let them get in the ring and oh, do I got a little the belt in an XYZ promotion or some damn thing. Yeah, man. yeah, and then I'd look at them and say, "No, you didn't learn to wrestle, man. <laughs> sorry." <laughs> I still can't use you. I'm sorry, you know, and and I and, and I hate to be that way, but you know, like we said earlier in the show, there has to be somebody that says no. You have to and has to set say the bar fairly here. high. Yeah. That's part of it. There's nobody setting the bar very high anymore. You know, that's part of it. Yeah. So. Yeah, I just uh, I'd, I'd find it uh, uh, sort of comical when we talk about it, some of that stuff and something else. I probably ought to say. Again, I said it earlier in the show, December 7th, this uh, uh, goes back to December 7th, 1941, the, the bombing of Pearl Harbor. I think we ought to give a shout-out to all our veterans and all our heroes from the past and, and present wars on what they do to protect all of us and keep us safe. Um, yeah, more I so know, than I, ever today. you know. And, uh... Absolutely. I know my mom and dad had just gotten married um, when that happened, and my dad immediately went down and applied for the service and because he had lost uh, a finger on one hand uh, uh, earlier on in life they wouldn't take him into the service but i know he did everything here in the states he could for the service when he couldn't go but i i know that it's a uh, uh i know this date lives on in a lot of families lives throughout the world today so i, I wish roosevelt said the day that shall live in infamy <laughs> it, it, it's one of those lines right i mean uh yeah it's one of yeah, those things. So God, I, I, God bless America. Absolutely, and and really, again, you know, that was a world war, and God bless everybody that was involved, and and uh, you know, took a step forward. It's much like this uh, uh, gentleman tonight uh, from Penn State. You know, he's he's got a passion for it. He's taken a step forward, and and uh, from my standpoint, I wish him all the all the best. Yeah. And I hope that I hope that someday, you know, you and I've said it. I hope that. Uh, guys can learn to work together and and maybe someday we can say oh yeah united we stand yeah united we stand man absolutely absolutely bruce a minute and a half give everybody your final comments for tonight and we'll get out of here yeah i'd just like to thank everyone yourself included and uh john trotsky and bob and everybody uh i appreciate your passion and uh i certainly enjoyed it tonight and i hope the uh listeners uh not only enjoyed it, but maybe gained some useful perspective from it. So uh, thanks very much, and uh, I'll look forward to uh, hooking up with uh, both of you guys in the uh, 
the near future. When are you back on, Johnny? Um, I think it's in January. I know the next few. Wow. I know the next two or three weeks we have uh, different family obligations with Christmas, with kids coming home from college and school, and different things. So uh, I know it's it's coming up here in a little bit. But yeah, please, I, I, pa- pass I'll my give you a call. Like, like Absolutely. to wish you a happy uh, Merry Christmas and all like that. And I'll, I'll I'll be in touch. Maybe give you a call and and touch bases with you before Christmas. But uh, all the very best to you and Kay and uh, family, and uh, same to you, Bob. Absolutely. Bruce, thank you so much for everything you do for this business. Uh, and your family, a happy uh, holiday time. And uh, to everybody listening in tonight, you're listening to Heartbeat Radio, the master of the ceremonies, Bruce Hart, and I, I'm the guest host, Johnny Mantell. God bless and have a happy holiday season. Good night. All the, thank you.